on Saturday night, Oklahoma rolling to a 41 to 13 victory over the Oklahoma State Cowboys. Sooners now the highest ranked team in the Big 12, replacing Oklahoma State at number 14 in both polls. Iowa State coming in at number 15 in both polls. I'm not comfortable with that because we're most likely looking at an Oklahoma-Iowa State rematch in the Big 12, and that gives Iowa State the opportunity to say, we're disrespected because we beat Oklahoma and they're ranked ahead of us. And so that really bothers me. Um, truthfully, it's a, I, I don't want to give anybody any extra motivation because there's already motivation anytime you play Oklahoma. Rich, I did like what Lincoln Riley said post-game Saturday night after beating Oklahoma State. He said, you know, we wanted to go out – and we wanted to be the hunted, not the hunter. Wait, no, sorry. Strike that. Reverse it. We wanted to be the hunter and not the hunted. And and that if you think about it, very seldom is Oklahoma in that type of situation where they can say that. But they go in, the lower-ranked team in the polls, the lower-ranked team in the Big 12 standings, and they just got after it. And this game... I know Oklahoma State kind of played the Sooners even through the second and third quarters, but this game was over after the first nine minutes, in you, my opinion. And you really believe that? I, I do. Look, here's what here. Let me let's let's go over what you happened. You said it with such conviction, is why I asked. No, because here's what happened. I mean, you go out to that 21 to nothing lead. The the two biggest stars on Oklahoma State's team quit. They literally quit. Spencer Sanders, I don't want to do this anymore. Chuba Hubbard. I don't want to do this anymore. Now, Chuba, granted, he went later into the game than Spencer Sanders did, but the, the tone was set. This game was over. The moment was bigger than this team. The opponent was bigger than this team. And we talked about Thursday night in the Q&A, or the true or false part of our, of our podcast about Mike Gundy having that mental block in big games, particularly against Lincoln Riley, and it was there. There was no answer, which is what infuriated me so much about Buki's penalty. Because you, ta- I, I really believe this. I, I'm, I'm telling you this with a hundred percent conviction. <laughs> you take that penalty away, Oklahoma probably wins this game fifty something to six. Truthfully, six or nine. I mean, there, there was opportunity for a field goal. I don't that's, think they scored. That's a fifteen I really don't yard think penalty. They because don't forget, don't forget, it would have been a longer field goal. And oh, you know it's a bad night when your kicker injures himself pregame and you got to have your backup right. kicker on the field. This game is, it's already a blowout, but it's a blowout of mass proportions if Buki doesn't just go all Buki on us. Here are my initial thoughts on the game, Matt, because we sat down on Thursday and we talked about teams that were trending upward, playing some of the best football, not just here in the Big 12, but across the country, when you look at the the University of Oklahoma and you look at Iowa State, these were two teams, as I mentioned, that are trending upward, whereas I put Oklahoma State on the other side of that spectrum. I think we saw that in full tilt. We saw the collapse of Oklahoma State. You're saying that you saw the two-star players basically give up on this team, which is something that we had really put in Texas's corner more than any other team over the past five years when it comes to players who have potential to play in the NFL giving up on their team or quitting during the middle, the the midst of a play, the middle of a game. Needless to say, I still believe that Oklahoma is on that upward trajectory. I think there were some things that led us here, though. And what we're beginning to see is 
the full realization of just how good this team could have been had the suspensions not taken place, had there not been some boneheaded mistakes, but also had there been the depth and the health that we have currently, had that been present at the beginning of the season, I don't know that we're looking at the the same number of losses, but ultimately what it comes down to for me was this, this mentality shift from Lincoln Riley. It was the benching of Spencer Rattler. It yeah, was who knew at that point that that was going to be something that I mean, there was criticism over that, right? And I remember the guys calling the game, you know, on Fox saying, "Man, you know, you don't do that to a a guy the caliber of Spencer uh, Spencer Rattler." And that literally, I know I'm interrupting you, so I'm gonna give it back. No, to you, but, you're good. But that changed the season. It did. And and you think about all those people that criticize. Uh, you know, the talking heads nationally, some fans, Twitter was a little bit ablaze about that. And then boom, look where you are now. But I'm looking in addition to what we're talking about with the offense, I've already mentioned the suspended players. Let's take, let's talk about Ronnie Perkins because he's playing like a man possessed on that defensive line. And the defensive line was already one of the best in the country. You added Ronnie Perkins and it became a completely different monster. There's literally no individual that you can double team on this defensive line in an attempt to slow them down. Because if all that attention's going towards Ronnie Perkins, Joshua Ellison and Perry and Winfrey in the middle have proven that they can get pressure in one-on-one situations. Isaiah Thomas on the opposite side has proven that he can get into the backfield and then mixing in these linebackers, specifically Nick Benito. I know we saw really good things in this game from David Uguebu as well, but when you start mixing in these, these rush linebackers, rush ends, however you'd like to label them, all of a sudden Ronnie Perkins and, and his presence overwhelms people. We're talking about the turning point against Texas for the offense, but the introduction of Ronnie Perkins has completely lit a fire under this defense. And dating back to TCU, I said TCU, the game against TCU was the most complete game that Oklahoma had played. I'm going to switch my opinion on that and say it's this Oklahoma State well, contest. Well, I mean, I think you can say up until Oklahoma State. I mean, it, mm-hmm. it was up until Saturday night, and then boom. And, and the balance, the balance that you see from this team – offensively and defensively, the ability to pressure the quarterback, stifle the run, and then, you know, offensively to run and throw the ball the way they do. Um, you know, this, this is the Oklahoma is, is peaking at the right time. I got a quick question for you. Okay? okay. What was the biggest surprise in this game for you from the offense, from an offensive perspective, The opening drive, how easy that was. Like I said, this game was over in the first nine minutes. Oklahoma gets that opening drive and just, crams it down their throat and remember the 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 talk was Oklahoma State their chance to win this game was based off of the defense Mm -hmm. how good they are in defense they tagged themselves as the best defense in the Big 12 and And, and rightfully so I mean statistics were backing that up we talked about Thursday night and we 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 talked about whether Oklahoma would have a 100-yard rusher. We talked about whether Oklahoma would have a 300-yard passer. We talked about whether Oklahoma would eclipse 28 points. They did all of that. They demoralized this defense, and they really did the majority of it. Think about it. They scored half of their points. They scored half of their points, Rich, in the first nine minutes of this game. I mean, that, that, that opening drive set the tone, and then you come out and you just hammer them. Because we here. think about what we knew going into the game. 
that we knew Oklahoma's defensive front had a huge advantage against Oklahoma State's offensive front. We knew that. We knew the big challenge was going to be Oklahoma's offensive front against the Oklahoma State defensive front, right? And Oklahoma just goes out and just hammers that defense on the opening drive, and then they turn around and demolish Spencer Sanders and that Oklahoma State offense with their first defensive presence on the field. Again, this game was an ambush. We'll use since we're you talking about Cowboys. It was an ambush in Norman. Oklahoma State had no answers. It was over. And then Buki gave him a little bit of life. I got to keep coming back to that because it irritates the fire <laughs> out of me. The biggest surprise for me, I'll go ahead and answer my own question. I, I feel I like answered it though. Did I answer? You I did. Answer? Okay. You did. I just feel as though this is twofold. For me, because initially what we saw was Ramondre Stevenson, the clear cut front runner in the backfield for Oklahoma from the time that he set foot onto the field three weeks ago. We have to remember that this is his third game. And I know that it was mentioned during the broadcast. Everybody else has played eight games yeah. at this point. So he's still fresh. He's not as banged up as some of these other guys are. He stepped onto the field three three games ago, and what we saw was an immediate change in how Oklahoma approached the running game. We saw the confidence skyrocket in that rushing attack, and you've said it. I, I'm going to piggyback what you've said in the past is that Lincoln Riley runs the to throw the ball. Mm -hmm. He he runs to open up the passing game and Ramondre Stevenson gave him that ability without any doubts, any hesitations or any questions. When the onset of Bedlam happened, what you saw was Ramondre Stevenson hitting 2-yard runs. Right. I was concerned. Yeah, so, you, so were thousands of other so people big, on social media. The big surprise for me was the fact that we've seen this season, I'm just taking the sample size from this season, we've seen when that's happened in the past, that Lincoln Riley then puts all of the pressure on whoever the quarterback is. More often than not, it has been Rattler, but it has been Mordecai right. at times too. And so there, to me, was an opportunity to abandon that rushing attack. Lincoln Riley didn't do that. And what we saw was these two-yard runs in the second half turn into yeah. nine-plus Yard right. runs from Ramondre Stevenson. Ramondre Stevenson with 141 rushing yards in the game against Oklahoma State. They were doing something right by not abandoning that and continuing to feed this guy the ball. Well, here's here's what that's about, and and it's um and, and again, you weren't the only one worried because it was all over Twitter about how <laughs> bad the running game is. But here's the difference between Saturday night and what we saw early in the season. Kansas State, Iowa State, and here's why you look at the back end of the schedule and whoever Oklahoma could f potentially face in the Big 12 championship as well as West Virginia and Baylor leading up to that, here's their concern in that prior to the Texas Tech game, Lincoln Riley didn't have a running back to do what he did last night. And basically what he did was he, he said to his guys up front, Boys, we're going to lean on you, and you're going to just hit that defense, and you're going to hit the defense, and you're going to hit the defense, and you're going to hit the defense until finally we saw that Oklahoma State defense just wear out. We saw them gas. And then, again, we're, well, I'll come back to this later on in the podcast, but when you see your star quarterback say, no mas, and then when you see your star running back do the same thing, 
how much more are you going to give on defense? Because you know there's no points coming. It becomes a pride issue. But again, how many times are you going to take the hits? Because let's be honest, tackling Ramon J. Stevenson is not an easy task. It's one of those things where you hit him, if he's going full speed, it probably hurts you worse than it hurts him. And it wears you down. And they just keep coming. And and with all due respect to TJ Pleasure and Seth McGowan, they're not the type of backs that can just wear you out. They're not. They're, they're backs that can, can run around you, you know, gas you out chasing them. But they're not the backs that really are just going to lower their shoulder and run you over like Ramondre is. McGowan could become that guy. But you remember going back to this Texas Tech game, how much we talked about the difference that Ramondre Stevenson makes to this offense. And we're seeing that. We, we saw that on full display in Bedlam because they didn't abandon the run. They stuck with it knowing this is the long game. Yeah, Oklahoma State's going to hold him to two, two and a half yards in the first half. But the dude ended up with, what, 5.6 yards per carry average for the game? So that's that's understanding 5.4 yards per carry. That's understanding what you're going to be doing. And that's everyone buying in. And I, you love it because that the last play... The, the the last touchdown to Theo Weiss. Yes, this is this is where I was going. That was the in your face, guys. Because what are they doing, man? They're they're so focused on fourth and four. Ramondre's coming at us, and there's your five star recruit all alone by himself for a touchdown. Yeah, getting lost in rotation. That Oklahoma State right. defense was on that last one, but I that's exactly where I was going with. I said it was kind of a twofold thing for me. Not abandoning the run is what ultimately set Oklahoma up for this statement and that this was a team that played to win. Uh This was not a team who played not to lose. This was a team who played to win. And I think that was evidenced by the the final set of four downs that you're referencing that I was going to pinpoint as well. It's on fourth and four. The easy thing would have been to run the ball. Right, but it was the, again. I I think it was the I, I and I I love this. That was the again in your face moment because what think about and I'm I'm I would like to know direct messages and all those off the public eye things that were said going into this game because it was clearly chippy. All right, it, it was beyond just typical Instagram, Facebook, <laughs> social media, Twitter stuff. It was it was chippy. It was personal on both sides. So you got to wonder what was said behind the scenes, because you talked about Ronnie Perkins, a man possessed, and that's you know that's what they said about him on TV. That's what you said about him. But and they're jawing from 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 the get go. They're jawing, and Chuba Hubbard going in the locker room at halftime jawing. But then again, you. Oklahoma State, we, you know what, we've seen, we, we got to kind of segue out of this and do a more of a specific breakdown offense and defense. But let me, let me just, my final th- thought on this, and I'll, I'll give you a chance. We've seen this before. You realize that. This bedlam that we saw Saturday night, we, this has played out before. It played out in 2006. Oklahoma State had Tatum Bell. It was in Norman. Les, that was the Les Miles letter rip year. You know, that, that was the year where Les Miles said, hey, you know, on Saturday, the best team in the country and a really good team are going to play each other in a big-time ball game. And when it's all over with, we'll see which one's which. 
And there's all that trash talking and Tatum Bell, all the Oklahoma State fans, Tatum Bell should be in the Heisman Trophy conversation. Why is he not in the Heisman Trophy conversation? And Oklahoma just wiped the field with Oklahoma State in that game. Got off to a very fast start like they did Saturday night in this version of Bedlam. We've seen this play out. And I'm telling you, I mean, it's not a, I'll get more into this later. It's not a Texas type quit. It's a we were never there type quit. And I'll, I'll explain what I mean, um, we're, but we're going to break down Oklahoma's offense first. The college football regular season is going to go well into December. There was this thing called the NBA bubble. UFC has its own fight island. Yeah, it's pretty clear 2020 has been a year unlike any other, which is why you need a sports book, which offers unlike any other. Get some skin in the game with my bookie, where the odds boosts, lightning deals, and free bets await all season long. And with Turkey Day right around the corner, there's really no better time to feast on some NFL action. Whether you're a first-time customer or have been playing with my bookie for years, there's no shortage of value to be found on the thousands of game lines, unique prop bets, and contests that they offer every week. Sign up or get reloaded today. Find an edge, make your bet, and get paid. They also boast a fully-fledged casino platform giving you access to the classic table, slot, and card games you'd expect to find at your local spot. And the best part is, at MyBookie, the doors never close, so you can continue to build your bankroll even after the stadium lights have gone out. Make the right play and sign up at MyBookie. And when you do so, use the promo code OVERTIME, O-V-E-R-T-I-M-E, OVERTIME, to get your deposit matched up to half, all the way up to 1000 bucks. Here's how the terms are. It's really simple. You put in 200, they'll match you with another 100 in your account. If you were already planning to bet this season, this is just free money for you. It's a winning season at my bookie, so come join in the fun and win some cash while you're at it. Big time offensive performance for Oklahoma. Again, Spencer Rattler becomes the first quarterback to throw for 300 yards against Oklahoma State, going for 301 yards, four touchdowns through the air. Rich, the big thing with Spencer Rattler, by the way, we don't want to we don't want to neglect his rushing touchdown either. Five touchdowns total. The big thing for him is no turnovers. It's not it's not the sole aspect of his game that I think we need to look at. But I did say that turnovers would likely be the X factor mm-hmm. in this game. Knowing what we knew or what we thought we knew about this Oklahoma State defense and if they could pressure. Now, what we saw out of this defensive front was Trace Ford was trying to equalize everything that Ronnie Perkins did and give him some credit because he made some big plays all throughout the duration of the game. However, no one was ever really to rattle Spencer Rattler. No one was ever to get was able to get him throwing off of his back foot consistently or testing that hip and saying, are you are you really 100 percent? Can you step into these passes instead of letting it sail? Of course, Spencer Rattler takes off, and my my first thought is, oh no, here we go again. He's going to get a stinger on that hip. Fortunately, that didn't happen, but it, I think it put to rest for me mm-hmm. any issues, any qualms that I may have had about that injury and whether he was 100% or not. The fact that he was able to run and, and basically juke a guy out of his shoes and make his way into the end zone spoke volumes for what he's capable of. I'm ready at this point, Matt, and I don't know that on a national level people would agree with this, but we look at Spencer Rattler, and for so long, granted it's his first year as a starter, 
For so long, though, we've talked about his athleticism. We've talked about his ability to throw on the run, but no one has said that he's a runner. No one has said that he's capable of running. And even when compared to a guy like Spencer Sanders, there's some discrepancy on that national scale. And granted, the offensive line for Oklahoma light years ahead of where it is for Oklahoma State. Spencer Rattler doesn't have to scramble like Spencer Sanders does as often. But it doesn't take away from the fact that I still think Spencer Rattler, one of the things you have to like about him is even when presented with an opportunity to run, where are his eyes? Yeah. They're, they're consistently downfield. Very he's, Baker Mayfield. He's not looking to throw the ball out of bounds. He's not looking for a hole to run through, but he's looking to advance. Even if it's six yards, he's looking to advance the ball forward. Granted, it happens more often past that six yard mark mm-hmm. but i think that's why why rattler catches a little bit of negativity in his ability to run is because it's not his first instinct his first instinct is to throw and you have to like that at the university of oklahoma you have to like that given the caliber of receivers that oklahoma has as well yeah rattler has to be uh just a final thought on him from me rattler has to be the big 12 offensive player of the week this week we talked about the five touchdowns. I don't know if you know this or not, Rich, and so I'm going to have a little bit of fun here. Um, he became the fourth Oklahoma player in just the last 20 years. So you qualify to answer this question, all right? The fourth Oklahoma player in just the last 20 years with four passing touchdowns and one rushing touchdown in a game. Can you name the other three quarterbacks? How many passing touchdowns was it? Four passing touchdowns and one rushing touchdown in a game. He's only the fourth quarterback to do it in the last 20 years. Last 20. So um, I know Sam Bradford's not in on that one. I think you're looking at me like he should be I'm on the just, list. I'm just looking at you. Okay, let me work backwards then. Okay, okay because I think that's going to be the easiest option. I, I think very easily we could say Baker Mayfield. There's one. I think very easily we could say Kyler Murray. There's two. I think Jalen Hurts does not make that list by one, by one passing touchdown. I think that's what holds him back, which we've got to go further. I think Landry Jones would be on that list. No. Dang. I thought he had one rushing touchdown in a game. I'm just sure a quarterback he did, but sneak. But did he have four with, touchdowns? I don't know. He it. set all kinds of records. It just seemed like a natural progression. So if it's not Landry Jones, it has to be Sam Bradford. Are you sure? Yeah. Because there's a few quarterbacks you're, la- you're leaving out in the last I know. 20 years. I know. I'm you're, okay with leaving gonna him out. You're not going to give Nate Hibble any love? No. All right. Well, it's Sam Bradford. Okay. I mean, that, that's some pretty elite company. I mean, yeah. a, true, uh, a redshirt freshman. First year as a starter, and you do something that three other Heisman trophies have done. Yeah, I really thought Landry Jones would sit on that list, but when it wasn't him, I knew it had to be Sam Bradford. Well, this settles it. I mean, because Sam Bradford's Heisman moment came in Bedlam. You're right. The, the flip. And guess what? Yeah, exactly. Guess what he was doing? Not throwing the ball. He was running it. <laughs> so this settles it. That Spencer Rattler is going to win the Heisman Trophy. Not this year. Not but this I mean, year. He'll, he'll leave as he'll, a Heisman Trophy He'll winner. set himself up pretty nicely, especially when Trevor Lawrence and Justin Fields move on to the NFL. Okay, I'm going to ask you another question, and I, and I want complete honesty here, okay? Complete honesty. It's a two-part question. Are you ready for this? All right, the, the trick play touchdown to, to Jeremiah Hall. I didn't see it. You didn't see the play? No, I think I have gotten up to use the bathroom. Oh, I can't ask you the question. I know, question, but, but ask it anyway. I can't, because the question is, did you follow the ball? Did you know what was happening? Um, The camera didn't follow the ball, if I recall correctly, on the replay. Yeah, I was totally there, lost. Therefore, I, I couldn't follow the ball if the replay camera wasn't following the ball either. I'm not going to lie. That, that 
that play lost me. I've, I'm following the reverse. <laughs> and I'm, then all of a sudden there's Jeremiah Hall in the end right. zone. I'm like, what, what just happened? <laughs> but the, my, my, my main point on that is what did you think of the play call? I mean, at that time, because there's, there's talk out there at that time, just do what you do. Run the ball, set up the pass. You don't have, because you got the Wildcat play with Pledger that got stonewalled. Yeah, I was not a fan. No, and that's what I'm saying. People just kind of seem, okay, Lincoln Riley, stop tinkering and just do what you do. But then you get a play like that, which is just pure genius. Yeah, and that that's really twofold for me. It goes back to what I said at the beginning of the podcast. To me, it exemplified that Oklahoma was playing to win. They they weren't content with where they were at. Now, I didn't view that as an attempt to run up the score, but I... Oh, that was early enough where you're not running right. up the score. I, I do view that as a moment where you're saying, we're, we're here to win. We're not here to play games. We're here to win. Right. But secondarily is that we know it puts something on film, whether it's used for the remainder of the season or not is irrelevant mm -hmm. because it puts something on film that these teams that you've played previously that you may pair up with in the big 12 championship that they now have to prepare for that they hadn't seen before out of you. We're looking at Iowa state because right now that's the most likely candidate. Yeah. You know, but here, I think even not that I don't just don't agree with you. I a hundred percent agree with what you're saying, but I think Oklahoma set out to demoralize Oklahoma state. That's what that first nine minutes was about. This is just, we are totally going to demoralize you. You know, think about this. That's the biggest game that Spencer Sanders has ever played in. You know, Rattler had the Texas game down in the Cotton Bowl. That was the biggest game ever for Spencer Sanders. So you've got a, a young quarterback in his first ever big game. Who also sat out a portion of this season due to injury. And they just, again, it was... From, the, from that opening drive to how they just went after Chuba Hubbard and Spencer Sanders, the whole idea of this game plan was to demoralize Oklahoma State. And so what do you do? Think about it. When, when you own the field, right, you can run, you can pass. Basically, you can do what you want. And then you roll that play out there. What you're telling the defense is, listen, guys, we're going to pick how we beat you because typically on a defensive game plan, you and I have talked about, we've broken down enough games, you know, in a defensive game plan against a multifaceted team, what you want to do is you want to take one aspect away, take away the run, take away the pass, take something away from them. And by running that play, Oklahoma is saying to Oklahoma state, you're not taking anything from us. Oh yeah. And by the way, we can also do this. I mean, that was just a, a demoralizing moment for that defense. And it was, I loved, I loved what I saw from this edgy chippy. We're coming at you and we're not going to stop until you quit approach that Oklahoma had last night. Now there is, there is some questions out here that we, we want to throw around. Um, where was Seth McGowan? That we've been asking questions about this, this group of running backs from day one. When I, I get that COVID-19 has played a role in some of the disappearances of players for not just one week, but oftentimes multiple weeks across the country. That was the, the situation for TJ Pledger at the beginning of the year. But then we quickly began to focus in on Marcus Major. Mm -hmm. And Marcus Major is a guy that has a lot of promise, has a lot of potential, 
but completely disappeared from the game plan. He gone. All of a sudden, Ramondre Stevenson enters the equation, and now it seems as though it's TJ Pledger and Ramondre Stevenson, and and then there's just everyone else who's an afterthought. Yeah. And so it's really difficult to say what happened, where he went, when we'll see him again. I I have I have no explanations. I have no answers. I have no ideas here. But what we saw promise wise from a true freshman at the running back position, I thought spoke volumes for him. No, I agree. Yeah. Yeah. Seth McGowan deserves to be on the field in my eyes, Eh, but but I'm not a coach. No, no, no. I'm not. I'm not even saying um, that he needs to be a starter. I'm not saying he needs to be number two on the depth chart, but when we're in the fourth quarter, what we ended up seeing throughout the game, Matt, and I get Austin Stogner wasn't in, wasn't available, which changed the equation a little bit, but we saw a lot of Mikey Henderson and we saw, we we saw a lot of Jeremiah Hall in the game. I never once would it have crossed my mind to say, okay, we're in the fourth quarter. Where where does Seth McGowan fit in the equation? And he just didn't. That's, no, he, that's what's mind-blowing. Right. That's what never crossed my mind. No, and here's the reason why. Here, let me tell you where Seth McGowan was. I mean, this is this is a Ramon J's team. TJ Pledger started against Texas Tech, and I'm pretty confident TJ Pledger started against Kansas. But this was the game. This was the big game. The wagons were circled around this moment right here. This is where Oklahoma says we're taking back our claim at the top of the Big 12 food chain, right? And so you look at, and I'm going to mention this twice in this next in this segment right here. I'm going to, I'm going to say this two times. That was a good defense that Oklahoma played last night. That defense wasn't a fluke. Oklahoma State's defense is good. Watch what they go and do through the last three games of the season. They are good defensively. Oklahoma's offensive game plan was just that much better. And Oklahoma's options and weapons and personnel, just that much better. And Seth McGowan didn't fit into that. And here's the reason why. Baffled. I'm still baffled. No, I'm going to tell you. Here's the reason why. When you're playing a defense that good, you've already talked about Trace Ford. And we talked Thursday night about keeping Spencer Rattler upright, right? You 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 got to have guys you to trust. Right. Who do you trust in that moment? A seasoned veteran, another seasoned veteran, or a true freshman? Well, can we just throw this out there? Because the argument is, for me, it's centering around around Mikey Henderson, who, by the way— no, you, you can't—hold up. You can't put Mikey Henderson in this conversation. Why can't I? Two different positions. But Mikey he, Henderson's an H-back. Well, he's listed as a tight end. That's an H-back in, in Oklahoma's offense. And he was carrying the ball. That's what H-backs do. Except I for get off, that. The, the, you, I was going to wait to say this, but we'll just throw it in here. Do you remember Thursday night when we recorded our, our preview? What did I say about Mikey Henderson? We're talking about, okay, Austin Stogner, probably not going to play. Who Who's going to replace him? And what did I say about Mikey Henderson? I said, Mikey Henderson is the guy that you want in that position at H-back because he's dangerous catching the ball out of the backfield. Right. And what will he do that Austin Stogner won't do? He'll run the football. But you can't you can't say Seth McGowan didn't play and Mikey Henderson did. No, no, no. I'm, I'm not saying positions. I'm not saying he played and that Seth McGowan didn't. I'm saying that it appeared as though there there were at least three carries that could there have gone gone towards Seth McGowan. But it's you, no, you're you're not you're not seeing it from a strategical standpoint. You're seeing it from no. stats. 
strategically, you're right. If you're focused on Ramondre, okay, you're the linebackers. There's Ramondre. That's your guy. Why is Mikey Henderson carrying the ball? Because the defense is focused on Ramondre, and then all of a sudden you slip it to Mikey on his three carries, or you hit him coming out of the backfield in his three receptions. The defense is like, dang it, we were focused on number 29. There's number three going up the field. That's the difference between hey, – that's why Mikey's carrying the ball. Don't don't get me wrong here, but Matt. But Seth McGowan would be in that Ramondre Stevenson spot, not the Mikey Henderson don't spot. Don't get me wrong, because we talked about players who present a certain – versatility that other players simply don't have in in I believe that Mikey Henderson at 62235 range presents that versatility. Mm-hmm. He's not quite the height right. of a typical tight end, but he's also not as small as your your prototypical or at least on the collegiate level running back. Mm-hmm. He's a little bit taller, a little bit heavier, but has that skill set. And so of course I'm in favor of Lincoln Riley in this offense utilizing the versatility of Mikey Henderson. And I'm not arguing that he shouldn't get those three carries. I'm just asking the question of what happens to Seth McGowan. But you're talking about a guy who you said experienced. Now, Mikey Henderson's a true freshman. Correct me if I'm wrong. But again, you're 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 comparing apples to oranges with the position. I mean, Mikey Henderson is is. What you need from a running back and what you need from an H-back are two totally different things. And so when you're trusting experienced guys at running back, that's a completely different animal than trusting guys at the H-back position. And Mikey Henderson was the big surprise for me in game one. He's been a big surprise all season, honestly, for me. I mean, we, you love Marvin Mims. You knew Marvin Mims was talented coming into this season. But when you talk about the freshmen who are unexpected surprises, you got to say it's Mikey Henderson. Right. I'm surprised he's also only has one touchdown. I thought he had two this season. Well, he had the one Saturday night. That was, that was his That's first? his only one. Wow. Well, I say that it's his, his receiving touchdown. Okay. I'd have to go back okay. and look and see if he has any other touchdowns. Whether Yeah, yeah. So here we go. He's got one receiving and one uh, looks like one rushing. Okay. So he does right. have two on the season. I'm not surprised by that. That's the number that I thought he should have been at. Again, Mikey Henderson is a guy who I believe is going to take on a bigger role in this offense moving forward, just based upon the way he presented himself, the way he made himself available. He seems to be a guy, and this is on the outside looking in, my perspective looking into the program. He seems to be a guy who is willing to take on any challenge and has never used the term, I can't, or I won't. Mm -hmm. He's not a guy who steps into the locker room and says those things. Instead, he appears to be a guy who when there's a challenge uh, in front of him, he says, I'm going to give it my best shot. It may work. It may not. But I'm going to give it 100% each and every time I touch this football. For Oklahoma fans that have been around for 20 years or longer, Mikey Henderson is going to remind you of Josh Norman and what he's able to do, running the ball, catching the ball. Josh Norman was kind of the the original H-back in this offense that, that Bob Stoops brought to Norman. And Mikey Henderson, in my opinion, I'd love to hear from you if you got someone better. Hit us up on Twitter at Sports Heartland. But Mikey Henderson, in my opinion, is the closest thing that we've seen to Josh Norman since Josh Norman. And I I know, look, there's Trey Millard out there that we've talked about. Uh, There's been some other guys out there uh, that, that have done a good job. Dimitri Flowers. You know, there's guys out there that have done a good job. But 
go back and, and look up, go back into that, go back to the 2000 Nebraska game and look at that entire season, how Josh Norman fit into that offense. That's what I see Mikey Henderson being in the next two or three years in this Oklahoma offense. But I think the thing that we're maybe overlooking in this discussion is Oklahoma didn't have Austin Stogner and it wasn't a problem on this offense. They moved just as efficiently without him as they did with him. And that's, that bodes well to, number one, the schematics of Lincoln Riley's offense, but number two, the personnel that he's rolling with on the field. When I look at the just the, the box score here, I know that it was mentioned again several times on the broadcast, but you look at how well the ball was spread around the field. It wasn't heavily dominant, in one general direction, which at this point, I, I don't know that we could say there's a an option that's above and beyond the rest, but Marvin Mims is, has definitely separated himself from the rest of this receiving has he, crew. Has I, he? I think that he has. I would, I would put Theo Weiss in there with him. Theo Weiss has made a really strong yeah. push here yeah. over the past four games. I agree with that. I agree. But, I mean, but I'm Marvin not, Mims I'm not has been there day one. I'm not taking away from Marvin Mims and how, how just – Stud Riffrick he is, but we're so gonna, we've got two we're gonna guys go back to Theo Weiss, and we're going to remember Iowa State and that drop. We've got two guys who are starting to elevate yeah, themselves for sure. It, it doesn't matter what names we want to attach. Theo Weiss, I'm using Marvin Mims. I, I don't think there's this this all world option on this offense yet. But Charleston Rimbo, where has he been? <laughs> okay, sidebar here. Um, I took him on a, a fantasy team. Why? Worst Why decision of my that? life. It wasn't the worst decision of my life. Um, it was just one that I, I look back upon and say, maybe I shouldn't have gone with Charleston Rambo in this game. Maybe yeah. I should have looked elsewhere. But here's what, what I'm getting at, Matt, with these receivers is it is a very talented pool of players. We've known that for quite right. some time. Right. And we've got the five-star recruits who have landed on campus. I'm wondering, and, and this another just sidebar, I'm wondering how Jaden Hazelwood would affect this game had would affect this group of receivers mm -hmm. had he been healthy for the entire the duration of the season. Now we know that that hasn't happened. We know that he's appeared in a couple of games. We know that he's apparently re-injured himself. But when I look at is that wrong? Are you looking at me like no, I'm no, crazy? I'm just, over I'm just here? Okay. To you. Sorry. Okay. When I'm looking at this this receiving core, I don't know that you could just key in on one individual. No, and that's what you want. That's what's great. Right. And now the emergence of Mikey Henderson beneath a guy like Austin mm -hmm. Stogner, to me, it just says, even if Austin Stogner, and I know you just said this, even if Austin Stogner isn't available, this offense is still going to be okay. Yeah. This is an offense that, that can still utilize mismatches, can utilize the versatilities of different players who fit that H back role and they can punish you when you key in on a Ramondre Stevenson or when you key in on a guy like a Marvin Mims, who's coming out of the slot. Right. A hundred percent. You know, one other thing uh, I said, I was going to bring this up twice when I was going to talk about how good Oklahoma state's defense is. And that's when we talk about the left side of, of Oklahoma's offensive line. We, we know, we know when you look at that left side, you look at Marquise Hayes, you look at Eric Swenson, we know that is not as strong as the right side with Tyrese Robinson and Adrian Ely. We, we know that, okay? It's not a secret. But Oklahoma State's really good up front. They, they weren't out there playing Missouri State. These guys weren't struggling like, you know, like they're playing Missouri State or Kansas or whatever. They had a little bit of a rough night, but look who they had the rough night against. I mean, Trace Ford 
is not a guy you just kind of throw in the heat pile and pick him up some other time and hope you have something good out of him. That dude's an all-conference type player, and he's only a sophomore. He'll be an All-American candidate before he leaves Oklahoma State University. And so what, when I when I look at that left side, and I look particularly um, <laughs> at Eric Swenson, I, I saw people just begging for Anton Harrison. Excuse me, I don't want a true freshman out there against Trace Ford, and neither does Bill Biedenboe. I mean, if Bill Biedenboe thought there was a better option, the better option would be out there. Would he not? I mean, do we has Bill Biedenboe not built up enough credit with us that we don't trust him? Because I'm pretty confident, and, and I think Anton Harrison's future is pretty bright. But it's been a while since we've seen the alternation between Harrison and Swinson. Biedenboe has made the decision to go with the senior and beaten both thought that was his best option against trace Ford. And at some point we just have to say trace Ford's a pretty good player. I do agree with that. And I mentioned him by name earlier in this podcast as a, a playmaker, a guy who was disruptive all night long, had some, some pretty big plays. I, I think I may fall on the opposite side of the fence from you though, on this one, because and it dates back to that Missouri State game. Here was a kid, Anton Harrison, who I felt like we're putting all of our trust in Bill Biedenboe, had cemented himself as a starter on that offensive line, and that has not been the case for him. I get we talk about potential, we talk about promise, we talk about um, what he's doing that no other player has done at the University of Oklahoma, and there have been some pretty pretty good offensive lineman here in Norman. When I look at Anton Harrison, I don't see any harm in giving him a shot. Put him out there for a series. And if the series goes terribly awry, then you know, okay. But you can't, you can't afford to have a series go terribly awry in that setting. I just I don't think Kansas, it would. You can. Listen, I'm trusting Bill Biedenboe over Rich DeCray. I'm sorry. <laughs> it just comes down to me trusting Bill Biedenboe. <laughs> I mean, it just, well, it just doesn't make sense to me And here's to, to, to risk putting a freshman. Because you know, you know going in what your weak point is. Mm-hmm. And you know where they're going to attack. And putting a freshman there and Bill Biedenboe's mind just makes him that much more weaker. Here's all I'm going to say about it, Matt, is that we've complained about the left side of the offensive line all season, all season long. Nothing's changed. And I do feel as though it's time we we – own up and live with what's there on the offensive side of the line. Because what we know is that there is talent, there is depth. And as you've mentioned, I've mentioned this myself as well in previous podcasts, is that Bill Beanbow has built a reputation at the University of Oklahoma as the best offensive line coach in the country. Yeah, I agree. 100%. And when we look at his track record, it's hard for me to second guess that or say that he doesn't know what he's doing, especially in big games and in big moments. You put, if it's Eric Swenson and he's serviceable, you put Swenson out there and you hope for the best, knowing that it's not going to be a straight rush to the quarterback each and every time that he'll at least get in the way. Whereas that's a huge question mark with Harrison. I get that. And I get what you're saying. I see your perspective I just can't get over the the fact that here's a true freshman starting on the left side of the offensive line, something that has not happened that I can ever recall. I, I doubt you can recall a time where a true freshman started on 
redshirt freshman maybe, but we're talking true yeah. freshman starting on the left side, the blind side of the quarterback on that offensive line. So we get excited about the name Anton Harrison, and we get excited about the future, but it doesn't mean that he's serviceable. And we have to, it's not a gut instinct. We have to go based upon the track record that Bill Biedenboe has presented over the years and why Oklahoma has been as dominant as they, they've been on offense for the past six years now. Well, let's talk about um, offensive player of the game. I've got a little bit of a conundrum going on here, so I want to hear who your offensive player of the game is to help me with mine. My offensive player of the game, TJ Pledger, all the way. Okay. Why are you laughing? <laughs> Man, um, I'm I'm kind of in the same boat as you when it comes Wait, to... you know what my conundrum is? I do. Not. But I'm kind of in the same boat where I do think there are multiple viable options yes. here. Yes. I don't think I don't think it comes from the receiver position, though, unfortunately, because I, I love what Marvin Mims does. And I really wanted I mean, him to get that. We did have two touchdowns. Though. I wanted Marvin Mims to get that eight to set the, a new school record. Right. Right. Needless to say, it hasn't happened. I'm not overlooking Theo Weiss here. I thought he was absolutely monstrous in this game. Even though the stats aren't going to say that because he didn't even lead the team in receptions or yards. Needless to say, the two guys I'm I'm split between, and I'd throw a third honorable mention in there, but I'm split between Stevenson and Rattler. Right. Honestly, I know you said that Rattler would be the Big 12 player of the week, so I'm going to differentiate myself, and I am going with, with Ramondre Stevenson, and ultimately it comes down to this. Without Ramondre Stevenson on the field, Spencer Rattler doesn't have that same level of success because all of the attention would be on him instead of on the running game. See, I agree a hundred percent. And that's where my conundrum is. But when you think about the productivity of Spencer Rattler, 300 the efficiency, right? 301 yards. He averaged 12.5 yards per attempt. And we talked about this in the pregame podcast. Only one team has passed for more than 200 yards in Oklahoma state. No one's passed for more than 300 until Rattler. He's accounted for five touchdowns. He's, he's going to be the big 12. He is going player to of the be, week. and it's hard to ignore those numbers. So, and again, elite company, Sam Bradford, Baker Mayfield, Kyler Murray. They're the only three quarterbacks in the last 20 years who've done what Spencer Rattler did Saturday night. So to me, you have to make him the offensive player of the game, but I agree a hundred percent. He didn't do that without Ramondre Stevenson. And by the way, Ramondre, 195 total offensive yards between receiving and, and running. And did did he get any touchdowns? Did he cross the goal no, line? No, he didn't get a touchdown. Which but, is weird, huh? But he still had 195 yards of offense. Look, he, I, I got I to gotta go with Spencer. But I'm tipping my hat big time to Ramondre admitting that it doesn't happen without him. Yeah, and I'm on, I'm on board with that. You know, we're going to have to speed through this a little bit quicker. I'm having a lot of fun discussing Oklahoma's 41-13 to win over Oklahoma State. If you thought Oklahoma's offensive performance was dominant, look at what the defense did. Defense held Oklahoma State to 3-14 of on third down attempts. And, Rich, we talked about that coming in uh, to this game, that how big the third down attempts were going to be towards the, determining the outcome of this game. I said at the end of the last segment, Spencer Rattler, 12 and a half yards per passing attempt. 
Do you know what Oklahoma State's the two quarterbacks? I, I do because okay. I've got the numbers in front of me. Four, 4.2 yards plus the interception. Does the Guaybu, in your opinion, is that an interception? Does the Guaybu get that? That's such a, I, a I, tough call. I, well, I'm just going to say my opinion. I even tweeted it out. This is going to get overturned. Not an interception. It's it's so tough to overturn, though, Matt, because you have to have conclusive evidence. Right, and you got the and ruling it, on the it field. Was, it was never whether the ball hit the ground, because we knew the ball right. hit the ground. It was whether he possessed it before it hit the ground, and that's what made it so hard to overturn, because when it hits his hands, it doesn't move until, I mean, you could say from one angle that it moved when it hit the ground, but his hand is underneath it at that point as it comes up into his chest. Yeah. So I, I, I don't know. I felt like that one was a flip a coin and you come up with a decision, but you have to stick with it. There was, because of the ruling on the field, I, I, I just didn't see any way they overturned well, it. Well, and that's a good point. The ruling on the field comes in huge here because I think it had it been ruled an incomplete pass. It that goes, would have been confirmed would, as well. It, yeah, it would have Because been they a, did come on and they didn't say it stands. They said it was confirmed. Right. So, well, you're right. I, I mean, here, here's the big thing. Oklahoma's defense against Oklahoma State's offense, 78 total rushing yards over 28 attempts for an average of 2.8 yards per carry. When you look at Chuba Hubbard and L.D. Brown, these running backs at Oklahoma State's trotting out there, that's dang impressive. One of the things that we talked about in, in the preview was, would Oklahoma – hold Oklahoma State to under 100 yards rushing. And I think we both said no, they wouldn't do that. But then we also both agreed if if should they do that, it's going to be a big win for the Sooners. And that's exactly what this was. You dominate at the line of scrimmage. You take that away. And it, again, it's just total domination. And here's what I'm going to say. And I'm just going to turn it over to you because here's what this comes down to, in my opinion. Well, two, well, two things. Number one, Oklahoma's defense is good. This is the best defense in the Big 12, hands down. I thought it was going to be Iowa State, but especially up front, these guys are good. I'm not the best secondary in the Big 12, but the best overall defense in the Big 12. You itching to say something? I, I am, and it's not. it doesn't necessarily pertain to your statement, but when we look at this defense, it's easy to overlook that Oklahoma was playing without a starting cornerback. I don't even know that Jaden Davis made an appearance as a backup. No, Jaden Davis is injured. He he wasn't available. Okay, Saturday and so yeah. you had you had Graham out there as a mm -hmm. third option, mm -hmm. who <laughs> I don't think anybody would know that name except he gets burned later late in the game, and that ball just sails over the receiver's head in the end zone, and he he kind of gets bailed out right. because of that. But when I look at this, he gets defense, bailed out by the defensive front who rushed that pass. When I look at this defense, Matt, I want to know how much of the schematics were changed when in the first quarter, Shane Illingworth took over because all yeah, of a sudden that's we, a good point. but we had talked about the, the need to contain yes, a guy like Spencer mm -hmm. Sanders. When Illingworth steps into the game, that's no longer a problem. I had even mentioned the idea of spying from the linebacker position. Yeah. And while there, I, I felt like there was a little bit, of that going on. It wasn't consistent enough to say that they were spying the quarterback on every single play on every single series. When, when I, when Ronnie Perkins is checking your pad levels, I mean, you got your thigh pads in, you got your hip pads in, you got your shoulder pads. I mean, when he's every play, <laughs> he's checking the quarterback's padding. You don't need to spy. Right. But again, I, I have to go back and ask how much of the success in the, the defense in terms of the running game, how much of that success 
and limiting what Oklahoma State was capable of doing came from Illingworth being in there versus versus Sanders. No, I don't I don't think it was any. I mean, that was the game we, we talked about it. That they played the game plan the way I thought it they would, where even the times they brought Ronnie Perkins off the edge, did you notice they they floated somebody out there for containment? Mm-hmm. So that the the idea was you contain Sanders, you bring pressure up the middle, and then when Illingworth comes in, suddenly your defensive ends can crash. You don't need a contain. You crash down on them, but you're still flooding the middle. And what they were doing is they were playing those gaps. They, they were going to blow up the line of scrimmage. You got to give Perry and Winfrey credit for doing just that, just destroying it at the point of attack. And then you let your linebackers clean up behind mm-hmm. that. I don't think it changed between the two quarterbacks. What did change, two things changed. For Oklahoma defensively, you do crash a little bit with your defensive ends. But for Oklahoma State offensively, you notice early, Illingworth just catch the ball for the snap, and it's gone. It's out of his right. hand. It was, and there was some success in doing right, that early because as it well. Was, there's, there's one read, Shane. There's one read. You're going to take this read, and you're going to throw it, and if it's not there, let the ball sell out of bounds. They didn't trust Illingworth to go to a second or third option. That's why those first few passes, there were some that went up into the stands, it seemed like, because, like I said, it's you get the ball, you take that read. If it's not there, it's out of bounds. That's what changed for Oklahoma State, and it, it really affected what Oklahoma could do as far as getting to the quarterback because the ball is released so quickly. Mm-hmm. And you gotta give you gotta give Oklahoma State credit there for taking that away. Whereas they had a little more success with Spencer Sanders. He's the veteran guy who can move around a little bit, so he tended to hold the ball a little bit longer than what Illingworth was doing. I don't know that either one of the, the I don't, in my opinion. I don't think either of the quarterbacks being in the game affected what they were going to do to try to limit the running backs, though. Okay, fair enough. I will say this, Matt, about Oklahoma State and Illingworth is that with a – I don't want to say that he's not mobile because I think anybody playing the quarterback position in the way that the game is played today – has to be able to move. Mm-hmm. And it doesn't mean that they need to run, doesn't need to de- that they need to be the fastest player on the field, but it does mean that they are mobile. They can extend plays. We even saw that with Landry Jones. We I, I, I can't remember if it was a Jason White thing as well, but Jason White had basically two blown out knees. Right. But see, Jason White was dual threat coming into mm-hmm. OU. I mean, he was a very mobile quarterback before. But they said his sister could throw harder than he could. I don't know about that. I just <laughs> she was a softball player here locally. Okay. Someone could check that, I'm sure. Anyway, when I when I looked at um this the game, that that's where I was at. Mm-hmm. We look at the game, you have to be mobile. I think Illingworth can roll the pocket. I think he can do the bootlegs, the naked bootlegs if they ask him to. But in order for him to do those things, you have to have a quality offensive line. Right. And I know Which one thing don't. and they lost another offensive right. lineman during the game. So when I look at Oklahoma State, I I do believe that the biggest hindrance to their rushing attack was the offensive line. I but I I felt as though the quarterback play may have it may have taken yards away that Sanders would have been able to get when that opportunity was there. I mean, th- that's all. They had 28 oh, rushing attempts in the game, so it's not like they didn't try to run the ball. Here's this is my this is my thought now that I'm going to get to. Chuba Hubbard has never committed to this season. I hinted at that in our pregame podcast. That came to fruition in this game. 
this guy is, his mind is already in the NFL. And he's doing everything he can do to protect his body. Rich, there was one play where he's coming around the end and he sees two defenders and he just kind of lays down, slides down like a quarterback would to keep from taking the hit. I mean, this, this guy is mentally, he's done on the collegiate level and it's hurting this Oklahoma State team. Now, I don't think if he was given 110%, it's really going to change that much because Oklahoma's defensive front was that much more dominant over the offensive line like like you and I have talked about. But we, well, what we suspected was going to happen, or at least what I suspected was what was going to happen is Chuba Hubbard mentally checked out of this game. He was done. He talked the trash, but he didn't walk the walk, mm-hmm. and he got tired of taking hits, and he's trying to protect his body because he knows he's got a million-dollar body. And if I'm an Oklahoma State fan, I, I don't understand why we're not seeing more. We're seeing a lot of people upset with Mike Gundy. And I get it. I mean, you if you're Oklahoma State, you want to win this game, right? This is it. This is your Super Bowl if you're Oklahoma State, and you want to win it. And I think he's like 2-14 and 14 now in this game. So they're like, you know, we got to find another coach as if someone else is going to do better because he's not. It's, it's that the grass isn't greener on the other side of the fence conundrum. Even Zach Lowe, our, um, shout out to Zach, our, our resident Oklahoma State expert for Heartland Sports. He's now on the train. You got to find a new coach. So I see a lot of people upset with Mike Gundy. I don't see a lot of people upset with the effort they're getting from Chuba Hubbard. That was a pitiful effort to quit. I mean, the guy quit. He came back out to call a timeout. That was, you know, the, the calling that timeout, he, he came out in his final play of the game that he was involved in. He calls a timeout that prevents Oklahoma State from getting a delay of game penalty. Well, it also prevented it from being third and six. But the, the point I'm making is. That, I think that was the bigger thing. That was the biggest moment of the night for Chuba Hubbard. Mm-hmm. And at Spencer Sanders. At some point, you gotta you gotta recognize the guy's soft. It's time to give him that billing. We see him as a as a freshman, injured. We see him this year, injured. We see him in the biggest game that he's played in, and the guy literally disappeared for two quarters. And you could tell once Ronnie Perkins slammed him down, I, it was a hard hit. It hurt him. I don't know that it concussed him because if it concussed him, he wouldn't have been back in the game. The dude just like, I, I don't think I want to do this right now. Can you put the freshman in? I mean, that's really what happened. And, and Oklahoma <laughs> State fans, I don't care if you're mad. Prove me wrong. Your two biggest offensive stars, two of your three biggest offensive stars, quit in this game. And kudos to Tylen Wallace. He's the only one of the three who played. Oklahoma defensively beat Oklahoma State into submission to the point where their starting quarterback and their quote, I'm using air quotes here, Heisman Trophy candidate running back quit. They quit. There's no way around that. They quit. And you got to wonder now, Oklahoma State's back to the outside looking in. They're back to the outside looking in when it comes to the Big 12 championship. If there was ever a year, if there was ever a year for Oklahoma State, for Mike Gundy to get Lincoln Riley, if there was ever a year for that to happen, it was this year. And it's not going to happen 
And Oklahoma State's not going to the Big 12 championship unless a miracle happens now. Because, because there's now, two tiebreakers against them. Yeah, you got you you need Oklahoma to lose, you need Texas to lose to get to the Big 12 championship. I'm not saying it's impossible, but it's unlikely. You got to wonder how much fight is left in this team, particularly with your stars on offense. If I'm an orange and black guy, I'm scared. I'm I'm frustrated. And I'm worried. And LD Brown's my starting running back because that dude's out there trying to prove something. Chuba's like, I'm just going to protect my body. It it stinks for Oklahoma State because there's there's real potential for LD Brown to be gone this year. I get that he's a senior. I get this year as a wash that they're getting this year back. So LD Brown very well could come back to Stillwater and suit up for the black and orange or orange and black. I'm not certain in which order those are to be said, but for Oklahoma State, Matt, I, I want to highlight a couple of guys on this defensive side of the ball, because I thought the the linebackers played outstanding in this game. And when we begin to look just numbers wise, just numbers, when we begin to look at the numbers, the out of the top three, two of them are from the linebacker position out of the top five, the, there are three leading tacklers out of the top five from that linebacker position. We had mentioned, I specifically mentioned, I'm assuming you agreed with it, that there is speed on this this defensive side of the ball. And if Oklahoma really wanted to, there was potential for them to stretch plays towards the sideline and use that sideline as an extra defender, especially with a mobile quarterback like mm-hmm. Sanders right. for the time that he was in the game. There were moments where I thought, whatever the camera angle was, it was largely based upon that. But... I see Chuba Hubbard takes the handoff and there's nobody on one side of the field. It looks like green grass for days. What happens next thing I know is the linebackers and the safeties and the corner begin to flow that way. And it's, it's a tackle that's made. If it wasn't made in the backfield, it was a very short gain. And we're talking about the success that this team has had in defending the run. A lot of it comes because of that speed at that linebacker position as well. And I'm not even talking about Deshaun White. I, I'm looking at these other guys, the Brian Azamoas, the the Nick Benitos, the David Uguebus, because those those were the guys who understood what they were being asked to do in this game. And they were the ones who heard their names called because they were consistently presenting themselves as a barrier between the quarterback and whoever the intended receiver was. No, undoubtedly. Um, uh, or I, ball carrier for that well, matter. Right. I agree. And, and it, it comes, you talking about those stats. That goes back to the game plan that we talked about. You know, you, you let your defensive line wreck the line of scrimmage and then your linebackers clean up. You know, which, what, which is what I thought Oklahoma state was going to do, but they couldn't. I mean, again, we don't we're we're done with the offensive recap but mm-hmm. when when you look at that defense that Oklahoma State has it's a good defense Oklahoma's offensive line wasn't that bad when you look at the overall productivity but what I was going to say is the happiest man in Norman on Saturday night was Alex Grinch and the second happiest man in Norman on Saturday night was Brian Odom I thought you were going to say Bob Stoops. No, Brian Odom, because that's the, that's the linebackers coach. You're you're giving the credit to these linebackers and rightfully so. And we're starting to see we're, we're not, we're not there all the way with this speed defense, but Mm -hmm. we're starting to see the evolution of it and you can't help, but be excited about it. But let's also go back to September. And there were a lot of people 
on social media screaming just to tear it down, burn it down, get rid of Alex Grinch. Let's start over. This isn't working. You know, Mike Stoops, we, we had this with Mike Stoops. And it's crazy how the development, and you and I, Rich, have been harping on this for years. It's crazy how the development of a defensive line can make that back end, the secondary, so mm-hmm. much better. Right? Absolutely. That, that's what we're seeing. I, I don't I don't want to talk about this, so I'm just going to bring it up. And I'm going to say it. And then if you whatever you want to say, you can say. But man, Buki... <clears throat> I just there's so here's what here's what frustrates me about Buki. There's so much potential there. I truly believe with all of my heart I believe this. There's not a defensive back on this roster who understands this defense better than Braden Radley Hiles. I think he and I've said this, he's kind of that quarterback in the secondary. He's he's good at film study. He has a knock, a knack for where the ball is. But man, he just does things that make you want to throw your remote. One, I would never throw my remote at the television because I don't have enough to like buy a new one. But you know what I'm saying? He makes you want to punch a pillow or something. You're just you're like, what what are you doing? What where where you're 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 I mean, seriously, this guy, his football smart. Is best, there. best instincts on the field. But it's not just instincts, Rich. It's what he knows. What he knows about the alignments, what he knows about his assignment, and what he knows about the assignment of the guy next to him. He is so far improved from three years ago. He's so much better. And he has grown mentally so much. This dude is smart. And he's got great instincts. But then he goes off and does stuff like that. And and somebody put on Twitter, um, somebody put on Twitter, and, and this this is this is almost like I'm I'm gonna close with this. Somebody put on Twitter, you know, that's just a that's a good learning experience for Buki. Okay, I would buy that if we haven't been <laughs> saying it for three years now. His entire career has been it's a good learning experience. Maybe he'll get better from it. It's a good learning experience. It's a good, I mean, how many times have we said it? We said it when he was a freshman. We said it last year. We, we said it when he got ejected from the Peach Bowl. We're saying it after the, after Bedlam. I mean, look, there's, there's no other option. That's clear. There's no other option. There's no one else you can put out there. And we talked about Jaden Davis being injured and therefore you're down a defensive back. There's just no other option. But holy cow, Kirk Herbstreet put him on blast in front of a national television audience. And I loved every second of it. (laughs) All right, I'm done. Matt, I do believe uh, Radley Hiles has the best instincts on the defensive side of the ball on this roster. And I believe there's a guy who's a close second, and that's Trey Norwood. We've talked about the versatility of a guy like Trey Norwood as a defensive back. I'm not sure. I'm not 100% sure or certain how he fits in to that kind of role because you've, you've talked about the verbalization from Radley Hiles that we don't really get from any other player. It's been a long time since I've seen a player direct the defense like Radley Hiles does. The last one that I could think would probably be Travis Lewis. 
That's different position, yeah, that's a good point. different position, but definitely was a guy who, mm-hmm. who had that recognition yeah. of what was going on on the opposite side of the field and began to, to direct the field. Mm-hmm. Needless to say, I don't think you can replace Hiles, Radley Hiles. I, I don't think you no, can. That's, that's the point I'm making. You I know. just got to live with it. Exactly. And that's where I'm going with this because we have to live with the left side of the offensive line. We have to live with the nickelback position as well. There's no way around either of those two things when we're eight games into the season. Maybe in the starting three, if we had the non-conference portion of the schedule, but we're in the thick of the conference race, There, there's no, no finagling. There's no moving those pieces. They are what they are, and we have to accept them as that and move on. No, I'm with you, and that's, that's the frustration uh, because, like I said, there's so much talent there. There's so much potential there and then you just see you see what you see all right give me a defensive player of the game for you maybe maybe sorry i was thinking about versatility maybe uh robert barnes can fit a little bit of that versatility he's just they're just tall just, just give safety. me a defensive player yeah um defensive <laughs> player of the game for me matt i loved what we saw out of woody washington yeah um, i to lead the team i've continued to like what we've seen out of him even though he's an inexperienced player but there's no there's 100 no denying that ronnie perkins was yeah, the I'm difference maker on the yeah. defensive side of the ball the way that he affected the game the way that he played in that game the physicality that he brought to the defensive side of the ball did not go unnoticed and if it did go unnoticed it's probably because you didn't watch the game there's no question in my mind that Ronnie Perkins is the defensive player of the game. Ronnie Perkins was throwing guys around like rad dogs. Mm-hmm. I mean, it reminded me of what we saw from Kenneth Murray a year this, ago. This is a guy who's putting NFL and NFL tape together. Right. And, and what, this is another talk for another time, but I have a post up, uh, just some uh, post game, post bet on thoughts. Lincoln Riley's biggest recruiting battle right now is to try to convince Ronnie Perkins and Ramondre Stevenson to forego the NFL draft this year and come back. Now, the, the good news, what, what Lincoln Riley has, by the way, I'm, I'm agreeing with you, Ronnie Perkins, defensive player of the game. The good news is that what, what Lincoln Riley has in his favor is limited film. You know, you're going to have five games, maybe six if you go to the Big 12 championship, mm-hmm. then seven with the bowl. And this is by far his best season. Oh, for sure. His but best campaign. Here's the thing. I, I think... I think Ronnie Perkins could be a first-round draft pick. This year? I think so. I know for sure he can be a lock, Kenneth Murray style, if he comes back. And I think the same thing with Ramondre Stevenson. I think Ramondre Stevenson can be a lock if he comes back. And that's what Lincoln Riley has to sell. But, again, you, you you had the NCAA suspension that people could argue wasn't fair. At some point, are these guys going to say, I'm done with this and I'm out of here? If they come back, it's the difference between Oklahoma starting the 2021 season as a top three team versus just a top 10 team. Agree. No, agree 100%. Okay, let's wrap this up. Going around the Big 12, um, the only other game in conference was Iowa State just walloping Kansas State. Was that expected by you? I know. I I think I, I, I picked Iowa State to win, but I'm pretty sure I said it would be a close game within – seven to ten points and i said it would be a blowout well you were clearly right maybe i'd to have the, to go back and to listen tune of 45 to nothing was that blowout brock pretty 236 yards and three touchdowns Brees hall 15 carries 135 yards two touchdowns i mean none of that was spencer rattler and Ramondre stevenson good but still the good news for oklahoma is that it drops kansas state 
down to four and three in the Big 12, basically removing them from the equation. So you've got Iowa State as the top team in the Big 12. When yeah, we, the lone top w- team. Yeah, when we release our power rankings, I'm Iowa State's going to be number one on mine. I don't I don't know if you want to let that out there or not, but Iowa State they've got they've got one loss in conference and they've beat Oklahoma. So. I, I think it'll be complete. They just didn't beat this Oklahoma well, team. Well, that's true, but the Oklahoma have, will have maybe the chance right. to redeem themselves in that. But until then, I think you got to, for me, I got to put Iowa State number one. There To me, there's three teams. Okay, there there's, so you got Iowa State number one, and then you got Oklahoma, Texas, and Oklahoma State right there tied with two conference losses. And that's an easy ranking for me. Absolutely. But... It's Oklahoma number two. Actually, I would put Iowa State one A and Oklahoma one B. If I, I mean, that's the way I would sum it up right now. But there's three teams in the Big Twelve that are playing hungry football right now. There's three teams. There's, you got Oklahoma, you got Iowa State, and you got Texas. And I've been saying this. I've been saying this for a while now. Texas is lurking in this thing. They're not out of it, and they they have a chance this weekend. They host the Cyclones, and look, I mean, if if I'm just telling you, if you're an Oklahoma fan, you want to cheer for Iowa State this weekend. You want the Cyclones in the Big 12 championship game, not the Texas Longhorns, because they're hungry and they're lucky. They're lucky in the way they're winning. So Texas isn't out of this thing. They can still be a player, but the good news is, if you're Oklahoma, regardless of what happens in Austin, Texas, if you win out, you're there. Yeah, you're the, the, Big the, the top three teams control their own destiny mm-hmm. right Right now. Win out and, and you're in. Right. Because we know that this weekend when Iowa State and Texas play, it will be a deciding game. For sure. One, one will all but eliminate themselves, barring any kind of a miracle happening. One will eliminate themselves from, from the conference uh, conversation. Absolutely. And, and, and I'm just telling you, I, Texas, they're back in the top 25. They're number 25 and two overall in the season, four and two in conference. And, and I think their schedule was Iowa State, West Virginia and Kansas. Is that right? Yeah. Iowa State, West Virginia and Kansas. So this is their chance to lose. There's still there's still a chaos scenario out there for the Big 12, but each week it becomes less and less likely. Um that's it. That's all I got. Oklahoma wins Bedlam. Sooners control their own destiny. They're in the Big 12 championship if they beat West Virginia and Baylor. By the way, West Virginia defensive line, no joke. We'll talk about that later on in the week. Richie, you got any parting shots or anything you want to send us out on? And it is going to be a fun ride here in the Big 12. There's still a lot at stake. Oklahoma, obviously, with the longest win streak in conference at five. But I agree with you, Matt. We cannot count out those who are sitting at three wins on their streak, which is Iowa State. In Texas, regardless of how it shakes out, as long as I'm changing my stance, okay? Okay. Let's just make it official. I initially said that if there was a team from the Big 12 in the college football playoff, which I don't think is a possibility anymore, that I would root for that team to win out. With that being out, it's it's Oklahoma. We're, we're full send right here. I just here. got mad at you 100%, all over again. 100 Legit just got mad at you all over again. <laughs> You're welcome. All right. All right, everybody, it's holiday week, so we'll be back uh, later on to uh, preview Oklahoma and West Virginia. Have a great week, everybody. Hopefully it's a short work week for you. Boomer Sooner.